Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information, which can be found nowhere else. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like Jerry in Vancouver, who won last week's drawing. Congratulations, Jerry. This week, we're talking about the Seven of Swords, which is in many ways a card of doubleness, as we discuss in the episode. It's also a card of the moon, which is associated with the secrets of the High Priestess. Therefore, for this week's giveaway, we're offering two winners a choice of prizes, either a High Priestess t-shirt or a Fortune's Wheelhouse notebook in which you can write all your esoteric secrets. Meanwhile, I've got some new news this week. After years of putting it off, I finally have a tarot website. It's www.tsusanchang.com. That's T as in tarot, susanchang.com. At last, everything I make for tarot, everything I do for tarot, everything I say, write, and record about tarot can all be found in one place. You can find all my products, arcana cases, perfumes. You can pre-order my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, which is due out in just a month. You can find out where and how to get a reading from me and keep up with new events and my own random musings on tarot. You can also sign up for my newsletter there, which is how you'll be the first to know when I finally release my tarot course for all who wish to take it. Mel has also been up to a lot of new stuff this summer. She's painting a new deck. No, not the kind of deck that attaches to your house. This is a tarot podcast, folks. We are, of course, talking about a new deck of cards. Be still, my beating heart. If you'd like to get the first sneak peeks at the art for that new deck, and oh my God, why wouldn't you? Be sure to sign up for her newsletter at tabulamundi.com. As always, you can purchase Mel's decks in all sizes and the guidebooks that go with them at tarotcart.com. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners at Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy. That's the officially unofficial Fortune's Wheelhouse group, where even now over 250 listeners are sharing their love of esoteric tarot and even planning a Fortune's Wheelhouse meetup for this fall. You could be one of them. Finally, if you have a moment and you haven't done it yet, please consider leaving us a review or rating on iTunes. It's free, it's easy to do, and it really does help spread the word. Thanks for doing that and helping us out. And now, here's this week's episode. Okay, so we have arrived at the Seven of Swords, the Lord of Futility or Unstable Effort. This is actually our second attempt, speaking of unstable effort, because uh, our, our software punked out. It is one of my absolute favorite cards. Looking forward to talking about it, although we are at the end of our recording day and... <laughs> Who knows? We're running on fumes. Fortunately, as both of us have Aquarian moons, we don't care about the body <laughs> and its puny needs. <laughs> and we stomp on feelings. We stomp on just, feelings. Just kidding. <laughs> we laugh at okay. An Aquarian once said that to me. And I had to laugh. <laughs> so um, this is the, the decan of the moon ruling the third decan of Aquarius. It is the location of my own moon at 27 degrees of Aquarius in the 12th house. So I'm very 
very familiar with the devious contortions <laughs> of this Deccan. Um, I love the idea of futility and unstable effort with this, despite them being very negative characterizations. I think that that comes from from the variability of the moon. Yeah. You know, the idea yep. that it waxes and wanes, and sometimes that provides strength as in the nine of wands, your own sun card, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. But sometimes it provides this sort of like vacillation or distraction. Yes. That's a good word for this card. Yeah. Vacillation. Yeah. The sort of like being in numerous places at once. And how that interacts with the fixity of Aquarius is yeah. really interesting. There's a doubleness to both of them. And it's not just the, the moon's flexing and fluxing, but it's also the third decan of the sign. Mutable. Which, yeah. Yeah, it's the mutable decan. It's, it's a fixed sign, but it's the, the decan where the energy is kind of unstable anyway. Personally, I call this the card of the divided mind. It's the mm -hmm. mind that's traveling in two tracks at once which can lead to fantastic multitasking or to incredible disasters because Very you couldn't focus. Dissipation exactly. of energy. Exactly. This is a associated final decan of Aquarius. You can see this expressed in a number of different ways in the cards, and we'll, I guess we'll get to that later. But I think what's perhaps the most interesting to think about at this point is the associated, oh wait, no, do I want to go associated majors yet? No, let's talk about, oh God, this is the curse of this card. The mind is going in like 5,000 directions at once. So other moon cards, we were talking about the strengths and weaknesses of the moon. Other moon cards are moon and Taurus for success. Mm -hmm. That is some of the luck fa uh, factors of the moon that we ritualize with. Moon and Cancer as luxury. That's the sort of pulling of the tides and the uh, ability to find treasures from the deep. Uh, the moon in Libra is peace that I think we talked about in the Two of Swords, the ability to weigh and to... It's kind of like the flexibility to go with all doctrines, you know, yeah, and find a common ground. Right. To seek justice by seeing other points of view. Yeah. We saw that, uh, the, that kind of flexibility. We see, uh, the moon in Sagittarius as strength, as the tension of the bow and the arrow and the strength to pull it back, but also the resilience that comes from that. The bendability. Mm-hmm. That which bends does not break. Right. So, so what we see in all of these cards is, you know, the changeable face of the moon and its real power as a, mediator of experience. I guess it's sometimes hard to recognize the moon's power because it's so intimate to us. We experience it on a daily level. But uh, like if you're reading your daily horoscope, like the only when when horoscope writers write daily horoscopes, they're talking about the changes of moon aspects because it's the only thing that changes from day to day. Okay, so we're talking about 20 to 29 degrees of Aquarius from February 9th to February 18th. Um, or thereabouts. Thereabouts, something like that. All right. So the majors associated with this are the high priestess for the moon and the star for Aquarius. And what a um, nice combination. What a great combination. You wouldn't, you wouldn't you would think. think it's great. And especially in the Sephira of Venus. Yeah. You would think that that would you be awesome. think that awesome. would be delightful. Just like you would think the Empress and the Star would be delightful in the mm. Five. And yet. Um, and yet. You know, but there are real reflections of both cards in the Seven of Swords. For example, you know, I always think that the secrecy of the High Priestess is reflected in this yeah, card. Definitely. Yeah, there's, there's a hidden agenda. There's an element of uh, deviousness and what you don't see, what that's going on. Right. I mean, if you think of the moon as the, you know, we, when you contrast it with the sun, the sun is the direct light, the, but the moon creates the indirect light. The, right, the reflected. Yeah, which creates shadows and illusions and strange shit. So um, that's something that goes on with this card, um, as well as the secrecy. And the star, you know, also provides guidance and light, but it's a distant guidance. You know, it's it's not right there with you helping you out with every step you take, it's there at night. And so this is a card, despite the fact that the 
you know, the Rider Waite Smith card is a daytime card. I think yours is much more accurate in a sense because it's more of a nighttime card. And there's that sort of navigating right, through darkness thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moon and stars. Exactly. Really fascinating. What's also interesting is that you go from this card, from the last decan of Aquarius to the first decan of Pisces, that's includes the moon card. So you're going from moon to moon, from the from the moon in Aquarius to represented by the high priestess to the Saturn in Pisces represented by the moon. You know, so there's a sort of like finding your way um, through starlight and moonlight. And there's also the connection, you know, with the first decan of Pisces in that that's where Fomalhaut is. So your royal watcher star of air is actually mm-hmm. there. So there's, I, I think that these two cards are so intimately connected. They're both cards of leaving the seven of swords and the eight of cups. Mm. They're both cards of finding your way, but they are different in affect. Yeah. You know? This is a intellectual wandering through the labyrinth and the other is an emotional wandering through the labyrinth. Yeah. And there's some element in both those cards of potentially abandoning something, you know, yeah, through inattention or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Leaving something behind for sure. Just to harken back to, um, to what we were originally talking about when we started the Aquarius cards, we talked about the fool's journey as one from Libra, the crossroads to Aquarius, the navigation or compass to uh, Gemini choice as a journey of finding his way as the fool. Um, but here in Aquarius, we went from uh, from the five of swords where we found uh, concepts of risk, uh, of scarcity and resentment to the six of swords where we found the tools to navigate. And now with the seven of swords, we are at the point where we're improvising. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's exactly. about skills and resourcefulness. And like, you may have gone out on your journey with your sextant and your orrery and your ship and everything right, all in but order. You can't predict what's going to happen. And exactly. you must deal with it as it arises. Shit's going to happen. Yeah. And you're going to have to come up with something. Yeah. So, you know, come up, coming up with plans on the fly is what, one of the things this card is all the about. The plan B card. The plan B card. <laughs> it's like, everything's gone sideways. Now what are you going to do? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really love about this card. Despite its instability, this is a MacGyver card. Yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> yep. Quick thinking on your feet. Right. See if you can talk your way out of this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a quality with the seven of wands that's also very MacGyver like. I mean, the the seven sevens in general are like make do with what you got. Yeah. But but this one is, and I'll talk about this more later. I think of this as the Odysseus card. It's like yeah. you know you're gonna use your mouth to get you out of this situation. <laughs> your mouth and your wits. Yeah. It's all you've got. The, the the story of resourcefulness in this, to me, is really reflected by the Hebrew letter associations of the majors. The high priestess being associated with the camel mm-hmm. and the star being associated with either the window, which shows you the distant journey, or the fish hook, which allows you to reach for things that are far away from you, mm-hmm. like with your remote fishing line. Cast. Yes, exactly. They're both about the things that are in the distance. And if your destination is far away, you want a camel, you want to be carrying your water with you, you want to be like crossing the desert. Do you remember in Promethea, you know, there's that point where Promethea, the the heroine is traveling, and they see the abyss. And they see, I think it's Crowley on a camel crossing (laughs) the abyss. (laughs) Because she has the direct path across the abyss from Keter to Tiferet. And you want the ship of the desert to take you there. So we were talking about ships as sky and sea vehicles. The camel is the ship of that desert um, that crosses the abyss of knowledge of Da'at. You know, so you're taking a journey of the mind on your camel across. Hoping your resources last. Yeah, hoping your resources last. That's really fantastically apt 
for this card. The uh, Kabbalah stuff, we should probably go through. We're now in the Sephira Netzach, in the world of Yetzira, the world of formation. And boy, does Crowley hate sevens. <laughs> it's so unfair. I know. He talks about sevens, I, as I recall. He talks about them as being, you know, so de- doubly degraded, I think. Yeah. You know, the idea that they're... Off the middle, low on the tree. Off the and middle and somehow low on the tree. worse than the eights. Yeah, yeah. He thinks of eights as being a corrective to the seven. Yeah. Which is, mm, you know, yeah. I don't really buy that. I think they're equal yeah. and opposite, yep. you know. But um, but he, you can really see in the thought deck how he, and we'll talk about that more when we get to it, how he um, dismisses the sevens as as difficult. But I think, you know, Netzach as victory, a lot of people feel that the seven of swords is not so bad because it has that, you know, that concept of victory associated with it. You know, there's a way of working with it. I think it's probably Liber Theta that talks about the idea that the sevens show what's needed to achieve victory in different circumstances. So here it's, you know, the the intelligence and cunning in the suit of swords that's needed to achieve victory under a difficult circumstance of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, Netzach, the word Netzach, um, I didn't do a deep dive on it before I came here, but I generally have understood it to mean a victory that has to do with endurance and persistence of, you know, lasting through time. And I think that this card sort of talks about the resources that you need to survive to last through time. Netzach in in Yetzirah, the world of formation, is, you know, you can think of it as being the ability to adjust to the vicissitudes of life. And whether you do that logistically or whether you do that magically by probability enhancement and sigil casting or whatever it is that you do, this is about maximizing the potential of what you've got to yeah, work with. working with what's there and developing it to its fullest potential. So that you can live to fight another day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, virtues and vices of Netzach? Yeah, the virtue is unselfishness, and hmm. the vice is unchastity, which is interesting because what Gareth Knight was saying about that is that it wasn't so much necessarily unchastity like as in sexual a sexual nature mm-hmm. but he said it was can be a lack of clear definition of the use of force yeah and i thought that was really interesting in terms of this card yes there's a moral ambiguity to this card yeah yeah that's like you know i associate this card with the trickster with anybody who uses their mind, who can who can say one thing and think another. Mm-hmm. So like actors, politicians, mm-hmm. you know, diplomats. Yeah. And there's a real having to like deal with ethical gray areas. Yeah, there. Definitely. That, that makes me think of the vice of Netzach. Yeah. Yes. But the virtue is unselfishness is interesting. That's not what a thing I would have associated with this card. Yeah. Well, maybe that's well, maybe that's the antidote to right. Right, 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 right. If you can use your tools in service of something altruistic, right, then to you know uphold yeah. higher moral standards. Yeah, you can bring something good. Yeah, out of that bag of stolen swords. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So we have in the Deccan imagery. From the Picatrix, we're back to mutilated heads. <laughs> At least I think. Uh, we saw that in the Five of Swords. Okay, so this is interesting because consider this. In the Five of Swords, we had a man whose head is mutilated and he holds a peacock, Venus, in his hand. In the Seven of Swords from Picatrix, we have a man having a mutilated head and an old woman is with him. So, hmm. you know, maybe that's the crone aspect of the moon. Yeah, that's but what I was just about to say. <laughs> in between, you have... A man who looks like a king. So you have the crowned head surrounded by the mutilated heads, right? Yep. So that's really interesting because we think of crowns as a form of intellect. 
Mm-hmm. And here we have, you know, we talked about in the five of swords, we talked about headlessness as this destruction of the ego. Yeah. So you have the crowned ego in the six, um, working as it should be. Connected to the divine. That's another crown meaning. Right. And then you have these mutilated heads to either side, right. <laughs> you know, where they're off balance. It's like, nice try, but... <laughs> And, you know, and we often see heads as a as a reference to Aquarius, you yep. know. So this is Aquarius in its sort of off-balance, scattered, didn't succeed, fail version. <laughs> this is interesting. The Deccan's signification is abundance, accomplishing of will, and giving offense. <laughs> so, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons I associate this Deccan in this card with Odysseus. It's like by any means, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because like, you know, Odysseus goes on these journeys and he offends everybody, but he gets it done. He's the man of many sorrows, right? But also the man of many ways. So he finds a way around the the twistiness of circumstances, you know, with his bent way of looking at things. Oh, and the Agrippa's Deccan signification is uh, insolence and, and impudence. Mm. So there's a thumbing your nose at the gods thing yeah. going on yeah. with this, yeah. you know? Um, never a good idea, but... <laughs> yeah, and there's the wisdom of experience in that sort of idea of the old woman or the crone being with the man with the mutilated head. You know, they're sort of like, well, I've done everything at this point, and... Uh, and maybe the old woman could kind of be a Bina Saturn reference yeah, maybe. too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the power of experience to um be used as a as a tool. So Atea says something about the upright meaning being espérance, which is hopes. And the ah, and this is interesting with that old woman, the reversal is sage avi, which is good advice, wise advice. Mm. So on the one hand, you have the thing that you're striving for, which is always associated with the star, right? Yeah. You know, and on the other hand, you have uh, the good counsel that, you know, uh, a, a, a sort of like realistic ability to evaluate the world from your experience and, and work with it, I think. Some of his meanings associated with the hope side of it are intentions, expectations, aspirations, uh, will, wish, desire. Whereas the reversal ones are besides wise advice and good counsel, like, you know, admonitions and warnings, things mm. like that. Mm. So you're between the carrot of your desires and the stick of your experience. It's the triumph of hope over experience, as yeah. they say, which is, you know, such a such a such a great motto for this card, you know, because when people say the triumph of hope over experience, they're usually talking about somebody who did something really foolish. And this card is a manifestation of the fool, in a way, this is like the risks he undertook and the price that he's about to pay. <laughs> yeah. I think I read somewhere that in relation to this card, the victory was over false ideals, which I could kind of see that I can see that. So consumed by the magnetic allure of the idea. So historically, and maybe we can use this as a transition to the Waitsmith card, this was represented in the Solobuska deck very similarly to the way it's represented in the Rider-Waitsmith deck. And yeah, and the picture in the Solobuska is said to be based on a medieval romance or one of those French chansons de geste, um, which date from the period of chivalry. The figure in that is said to be a guy named Mogis d'Egremont, who is a sorcerer knight. He's fascinating. He's Sounds like a slippery character. Yeah, he was supposed to be a foster child of the fairies. So one of these mortal changeling children who ends up going living with the fairies. And his claim to fame is that he made off with the swords of Charlemagne. Yeah. So, you know, that's yep. exactly what's illustrated in the mm-hmm. card. I don't know what the outcome of that was, but it's really interesting to know that and then look at the Rider Waite Seven of Swords and recognize what's going on in there. So if yeah. we talk about Rider Waite Smith, this character is... Tiptoeing off. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's so fascinating to me because if you look at him, he's got that fur hat and he's got those yeah, fur gonna, boots. I was going to say, what's up with the furry hat and boots? I've always read that as being a reference to shamanism because he's got, oh, you know, the shapeshifter yeah, quality. The fur. Yeah. Mm. This character, Moji de Grumont. What kind of fur do you think it is? I don't know. It looks like Snuffles fur. <laughs> it could be. It could be, yeah. yeah. But Skinning the cat. You know, we talked about the uh, foster child of the fairies and that ability to travel other realms. And mm-hmm. I think that that's integral to this card. You know, the idea that you the have... Tricky fairies. The trickster quality. You would think that there would be a Mercury card that was the trickster card. Think, but yeah. this one is the one that's yeah. always been the trickster card for me because it's got that ambiguity about it the 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 ability of the moon to be to interpret both ways and yet it has also the traveling quality of the aquarius so the trickster god is often a god of the crossroads as well but what makes me think of shamanism here is that often shamans will dress in skins of animals because in their journeys they take on animal form to create the effects that they're trying to bring back the medicine they try to bring back to the real world and to me, this figure is someone who travels between both worlds, who is simultaneously in both worlds, who is on stage in both worlds. You know, mm. you can see the stage card, and who is simultaneously trying to hold one agenda in his head while he is in another realm entirely, trying to recognize his his hybrid nature as a spirit, as a human as a human, as an animal, and not to lose that identity, but to hold it, you know, both identities while on the journey. And to me, that's very much of the nature of this card. Do you know anything about those figures in the background? See the guy with the big stick, and it looks like a couple people like crouching down around him? Yeah, I saw something in Secrets of the Waitsmith Tarot. There is a passage that they quote, and I didn't bring it into my notes, because I wasn't that convinced of it, but it's interesting. They said that there's a passage in Henry V that is about an armorer and, you know, being on the field, on the encampment. And he talks in this soliloquy about the soldiers in the background. So Katz and Goodwin are pretty convinced that this is a theatrical depiction of that scene from Henry V. Although the the long pole almost looks like the one in the six. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. And there's three figures there, but... Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting that we have, like, in the Five of Swords, we have a figure in the background that you should look at. In the Six of Swords, we see the farther shore that you should be looking at. And in the Seven, we have possibly the figure from the Six in the background that you should hmm. be looking at. One of my absolute favorite features of this card is on the camp tent. If you look at the tent in the lower right, the there moons. is a moon yep. over I Aquarius. That. I see that. And uh, it is possibly, you know, the only glyph representation yeah. that I yep. can think of in the Rider-Waite-Smith of the Deccan associations, moon governing the third Deccan of Aquarius. And I remember the first time I saw that was probably, I don't know, like maybe 10 years ago, and it just blew my mind (laughs) that it was there. It's also interesting that the tent encampment is a temporary thing, right? It's not a house. It's not something Mm. that you stay in. It's something that you provisionally set up to meet your needs. kind of nomadic. Yeah, yeah, which I think is, you know, again, we talked about this in the Nine of Wands, the moon as the camel and... Samech as the tent pole, Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. The camel and the tent are basically signifiers for the journey of a nomadic person, right? And so here we have this tent, which is sort of what you need to to have a home on the journey. And it's not going to last forever, but it's there for the moment. It's interesting that the tent pole, because, you know, brings in the the art card. Mm -hmm. And there's something Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this card possibly is in a way related to that ability to take things and transform them yeah whether it's situations or you know yeah right i see what you mean you know the art card focuses on the work of transformation you know and refinement but the star card 
the Aquarius card focuses on the distant goal. So they have a similarity of a Mm. sort. Yeah. And also, so one of the things that, you know, I think of with this card that's so evocative, and really this is one of my favorite Rider-Waite-Smith cards because it so beautifully illustrates the concepts inherent in the card, is that the guy is looking in one direction and his feet are going in the Mm -hmm. other. He's looking back over his shoulder to see if anyone's going to catch him. (laughs) Yeah, so there's that secrecy and deviousness, but also the ability to look at things from multiple perspectives, Mm. to really understand what another person might be thinking, which is essential for diplomats and actors and politicians and thieves, you know, being able to see your adversary's position, anticipate it, work with it, and position yourself as best you can to maximize the possibility of success in the face of that adversity. And I was talking to Randy this morning about this card, and we were talking about the Odysseus figure, about his moral ambiguity, but also that he he was someone who thrived on changefulness. He was a king in disguise wherever he went. You think about, you know, I was talking about that shaman's fur thing. Think of him like in the cave of Polyphemus with the sheep and how he puts himself and his men in sheepskins yeah. in disguise so that, you know, through trickery, he can escape the situation. And then Randy reminded me that at the end of his journey, he disguises himself again. And even to his son, you know, his son doesn't recognize him. And it's almost like he can't stop playing the game. You know, apparently, after the journey, this is not something I remembered about Odysseus, he goes on after he's home, he gets so bored, he goes on yeah, another quest yeah, and he, dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he just can't stop. Yeah. He can't stop playing. Yeah. <laughs> I associate him with the Scarlet Pimpernel as well. They seek him here. They seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven or in hell? That damned elusive Pimpernel. <laughs> so again, the two worlds, the the concept of escape. And uh, and I, I also drew a connection in my mind with... You know, we were talking a little bit about the camel and the tent pole in the case of the nine of wands, moon and Sagittarius. But I associate the Aquarius with the fish hook and yeah, yeah star, tzadi, Aquarius, yeah, fish hook, you. right? I see where you're going. Yeah. And so if you're sailing across the sea on the desert ship, the camel, I'm, I'm making equivalency between the desert and the sea. So when you cast your line into the sea with your fish hook, you're trying to bring something towards you. You know, tzadi is, I think, cognate with tzadik, which is the Hebrew word for a righteous person. So, you know, I think that there's something about this card about trying to do the right thing, not necessarily succeeding, Mm. but trying to find your way towards being a righteous person. And the definition of a tzaddi... failing. Yeah, and sometimes failing. But there's a relationship with secrecy here too, because one of the definitions of a tzaddik, a righteous person, is that they do a good deed for its own sake, not to tell other people. Mm -hmm. So there's a secrecy that surrounds the good deed that makes Maybe it righteous. Maybe that's part of that unselfishness aspect. Yes, that's it. That's yeah. the connection. Yeah. Yes, thank you. You were saying that the virtue of Netzach is unselfishness. So the tzaddik can find the virtue of Netzach by not boasting about their good deed, but doing it in secrecy. Mm. That's what I'm trying to, thank you, <laughs> trying to get at. It's getting harder and harder to draw the connections as we get tireder and yeah. hungrier. <laughs> we do these in groups of three, the three cards of a sign. And so, yeah, by, by the, the time we get to the, the mutable deck in, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're usually falling off a little bit. have been going for hours. Right. So even though Crowley talks about sevens as being, you know, as the card of utmost weakness, there's a strength that's in disguise. The danger of it is that you give in to the weakness. Right. And you say, I give up. But you don't have to. You know, even with the five, which is a lot more negative, 
you can still turn things around if you take that proactive stance before that disaster happens, you know? Right. And here, you don't have to fold. You don't have to give in to the lethargy or the inertia or the unstable effort. Right. Or the immoral action. There's um, And this is a good transition for the Thoth card, I think, because is it uh, is it Crowley or is it Duquette who says, who compares it to the rheumatic boxer trying to oh, come Crowley, back? Crowley does, but Duquette <laughs> mentions it as yeah, well. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. why. Yeah. yeah, so it's the rheumatic boxer trying to come back after being out of the ring for years. And I think there is something that they both say about, here it is. About, I think Duquette says even the rheumatic boxer can get in a lucky punch. He can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the danger is to give up on the verge of, Right. Victory, because yep. you're just out of steam. Ah, uh, yeah. So Crowley says something about Netzach, the victory of Netzach, meaning that the intellectual wreckage of the card is not so vehement as in the five. Yeah. kind of love that phrase. There's a certain toleration, wish to compromise. But in certain circumstances, the results may be more disastrous than ever. I think of this card as as the what could possibly go wrong card. You know, the, when you have some incredibly Rube Goldberg complicated scheme that's supposed to make things work, and it's just so filled with pitfalls. Yeah, pitfalls that it's. Uh, yeah, Randy's always making fun of me because I like to balance things precariously in the refrigerator, or like because I see that there's a space, it's going to work, and then of course yeah. it doesn't. So in the in the card, we have, um, it's those, each of those, this is similar to like your swords in the orrery in the previous card. Mm. So each one has a, has a planetary, planetary hill. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got going from left to right. I see moon, Venus, Mars. Um, the central one is the sun, of course, and then Jupiter and Mercury and Saturn. Yeah. So the moon one on the left, it has like two rings on it. Is that because of the waxing and waning mean moon yeah, or something? Yeah, I don't know. I never quite understood that. Or maybe it's just emphasizing the moon. So it's so interesting that those six swords are like against the sword right, of the six sun. against one. Yeah. And you can see the chips in the sword and the swords being attacked. Because it's the sword of the sun, it's like your purpose or your reason you know, the thing you're trying to do, your ego is being attacked from all sides, mm. which I think makes me think of like, you know, the experience of the monkey mind. I was just about to say, <laughs> wow, I was just about to say it's it's almost like the sun is getting attacked by, since this is a card of sores, by all these different parts of the mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah, which is monkey mind, really. Yeah, like yep. if you, when you first sit down to meditate and you're like, oh my God, what the fuck is going on in there? Right. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's it's out of control in there if you just sit right. still for a minute to look. Uh, it's like, there's a line in the in Avengers where one of them says, Loki's brain is a bag of cats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And this is the bag of cats. <laughs> yes. yep. So it's no wonder that you know, we're creatures of distraction. We talked about the Six of Swords as being a little bit like a card of the internet. And the Seven of Swords is when you spent all day looking at cat videos all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't even realize it. you were supposed to be working and you got sucked into the cat videos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be the card of the wormhole, too. I think it's actually Duquette who talks about the moon in this card is being associated with dreaming. So like when the rheumatic boxer's trying to come back, like because he has this dream, dream yeah. it's not sort of the imaginative aspect of dreaming. It's like you're dreaming. This is a fantasy. This is not reality. Mm. And what you were saying earlier about the secrecy of this card, it's kind of like the Trojan horse. You mm-hmm. know, it's yeah. what you see is not what you get necessarily. <laughs> yeah. The Trojan horse, which was one of Odysseus's yep, ideas. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What you see is not what you get. Beware of sender. That phrase, you're dreaming, is like a perfect encapsulation of futility. It's like you have some great idea, fine, but you're not going to get anywhere with it. Yep. It's like your son is so weak from being. Your your purpose and will is so weak from being attacked on all sides that it's not going to happen. 
you know, and if you interpret the glyphs on here, not just the ones on the swords, but the ones up and down from the card, you know, uh, the, that he, that she always puts in there, the moon is at the top, mm-hmm. you know, like it often is. Mm-hmm. And that could be the ascendancy of the fantasy over the reality of the sun. Yeah, and those forms in the background. Yeah. They they do look sort of like fantastical in some ways. They do. And there's five of them, which sort of reflects the imbalance of the other five, you know. Yeah, there's definitely something ghostly and um illusionary yeah. about and, this. And and the sevens being about desire you know that's about your your unattainable dream or your you know your futile dreaming nature but then there's also the it takes that kind of dreaming nature and desire to succeed at some less tangible things like the arts and music and poetry that have a lot to do with the seven yeah i I read something about uh orpheus being associated with uh Ah, Which I thought was really interesting, you know? That sounds really familiar. Where'd you read that? Uh, God, oh, I know. know. It's all a big soup in it, there. Yeah, it's all a blur. I've yeah. been reading for a while. I, I feel like I've read that, too. Yeah. It's probably in the Book of maybe, Thoth. M- maybe it's 36 Faces. I don't think it was Book of Thoth. It could have been Gareth Knight. <laughs> I just don't know anymore. <laughs> Well, this is why we're doing it a podcast. You know, we don't yeah. have to footnote. <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> that we would be here for four hours if we tried to do that. But I thought that was an interesting idea, you know, the idea of Orpheus and uh, the arts. and Yeah, and the idea that he couldn't help looking back. You yeah. know, the feet were going one way and the head was going yeah. another. Yep. And that was the downfall of his uh, loss of Eurydice. Right. Couldn't help himself. Couldn't help himself. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's unstable effort. It's like you you persisted almost long enough and then and you gave up. Not quite. Yeah. Right. You gave up just when victory was in sight. Right. Because the star is still hanging there in the distance as a guiding, navigating light for you, but perhaps the fluctuating light of the moon caused you to miss your step. Yeah, that last poor decision did you in. <laughs> you were doing so good. <laughs> right, right. You made it this far. And you second-guessed yourself. Yep. There's a lot of second-guessing in this card. Mm-hmm. And I've always seen this card as, you know, sometimes you give up intentionally because you think that you can claim you didn't really lose because you didn't really try. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say, oh, well, I could have done that. You know yeah. what I mean? If I, yeah. you know, kind of like the cop out. Uh, right, right. You always have a back door or a, you know, I, I used to call this the displacement of expertise because, you know, I've done a lot of different things in life. And whenever I failed at something, I would say, well, you know, there, there aren't that many literary studies editors who are also cooks. You know, yeah. or there aren't that many yeah. people who do A who also do B. And the card would, of excuses. <laughs> exactly. I was like, okay, my identity isn't really here. It's somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. It's somewhere else. Like I didn't really fail because I wasn't really giving this my all. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the challenge for me. I can never quite put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah, me neither. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trying to negotiate that is the work of a lifetime. <laughs> mm-hmm. The uh, other thing that's so cool about this is that I think Austin Kopic talks about, well, he talks about the moon in Aquarius generally uh, in this deck, and I'm going to actually read it. I bookmarked it because it, I resonated it so much with this when I read it for my moon card. Uh, the moon finds a strange home in the third decan of Aquarius. These natives are citizens of no land, yet never without roots. They're emotionally independent, capable of finding comforts where none seem to exist. If you've seen my house, you know what that's like. (laughs) (laughs) Anchored in the invisible, they're less affected by the churnings of the manifest. There is sadness for them and sometimes alienation, but they endure it well because they're accepting and able to let go of what cannot be theirs. So he says that this face has the power to make the exile comfortable, the alien feel at home. So again, this is like Odysseus being able mm. to find his way no matter where he is, yep. to 
be able to find his feet. It aids the mind in letting fly free what cannot be, but draws what's truly required. There's the fish hook. Doesn't bring wealth or happiness. Oh, well. But the capacity to abide. Ah, you'd like the that. dude. The dude abides. <laughs> the dude abides, yes. He's very Aquarian to oh, me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I and nobody when understands him. I was writing those... Um, little essays on the court cards yeah. before I abandoned them temporarily to work on paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Prince of Swords, I think I had a, the, the picture of the, the dude doing his Tai Chi moves. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. He also associates this with um, uh, 36 heirs the, uh, with Osiris, Lord of the Dead, and the journey to the Duat, you know, and mm-hmm. or through it. And you know, this is about the perilous journey and the skills you need to survive through it, the adventure. It's almost like making it through the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for after you die? Oh. You know, after you die, the 40 Oh, the bardo? Days. The bardo. Yeah, yeah the bardo. And there's yeah. all these temptations yeah. that will distract you. It's almost like that. And 49, which we've seen in the five of swords the six of swords yeah, and seven times four, seven 49 is 49 days through the bardo but yeah but during that supposedly the soul can be led astray into an undesirable incarnation through right. desire through desire which is very much of, of the Netzach. seven yeah isn't that interesting that's fascinating and also the fact that you know this is in the Thoth card you have the sun being attacked from all sides journeying through the land of the dead through the night, under the moon, mm. you know, hopefully to come out the other side. Okay, um, I guess we can say goodbye to Thoth and uh, on to Tabula Mundi. Oh, my God. See, all, all Seven of Swords cards should take place at night. <laughs> That's my feeling. Yeah, this one, this one does. Um, mm-hmm. So where to begin? Uh, we've got the combination of the moon, the priestess, and the star. So... There's a moon in the card and a star or several stars in the card. From the priestess, we have the camel as the Hebrew letter gimel for mm-hmm. the priestess. And you see here the camel as is on its knees. It's at, you know, it's been on this long nomadic journey and it hasn't reached the oasis yet and it's ready to fold, ready to give up. Um, not knowing that Pisces is next and all the water's there. <laughs> right. And, and not only that, it maybe, maybe it's out of water, but there's those big looming storm clouds. It's probably going to rain. Don't give up yet, dude. Probably going to be fine. The oasis is right around the corner. And then there's the, uh, you see the six sabers surrounding the boot dagger. Yeah. Um, I said in, in book M, I said, you know, a boot dagger might get you in trouble in some jurisdictions because, you know, it's not necessarily legal or moral, but sometimes <laughs> you have to use what you got, you know? Yeah, and that's the amorality of this card. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you didn't have that boot dagger, you'd have to talk your way out of it. And mm-hmm. you might have to anyway. What are you going to do? Are you going to take your chances with a little dagger against six sabers? Or are you <laughs> going to be a little more clever and try to talk your way out of the situation? Right. Then there's the uh, the seven-pointed star, which can be, I think it's heptagram, and it can be a symbol to ward off evil in Christianity, or it can be what's called the gateway for the fae, the fairies. Oh, so again, cool. that's bringing in the fairies and their kind of devious, tri- yeah. tricky nature um, if they yeah. get through. Yeah. Besides the seven being seven pointed star as Babylon. Yes, as Babylon. And you have seven and, stars and in the there. Star, uh, the star card, and there's there's seven stars. Well, you have the same thing that often goes on in, in star cards where you have seven small stars and, you know, one yeah. special star. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Which you see on the star card in Rider-Waite-Smith. There's something about the color of that star, which is that, um, that bright yellow green, which yeah. is the color, the major color of the card. And there's something about that color that is very 
lunar and it's almost like glow in the dark phosphorescent yeah phosphorescent it's that bright yellow green that just looks so eerie and and yeah it's great it's i like like it glows but it's there's something about it that's kind of eerie it's spooky and unearthly it's like like a um will-o'-the-wisp yeah yeah marsh gas yeah marsh gas or, or glow in the dark thing right which you know which you also see in your seven of cups the marsh gas thing yeah 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 Yeah. and then there's some of that color in the moon as well which the moon is supposed to be the moon at totality of a blood moon eclipse so you see that kind of reddish pinkish tint Mm. to to one side of it and you know that phase of the moon that moment of eclipse is eerie in itself and things are unstable at that moment and you know, people feel unsettled. I particularly love the clouds in this card because they look like they could be anything and, you know, ominously anything. They're they're almost threatening. They're like looming over. They're like storm clouds. Yeah. So there's that idea of something impending and uh, how are you going to deal with it? Yeah. (laughs) Or are you going to deal with it? Are you going to deal with it? Are you just going to give up? Right. Or roll over? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Are you going to have a strategy or... Or are you just going to fold? Right. And I love the way the camel in the desert is almost monochromatic in the sense that the light is dim. So, you know, you're mostly seeing uh, yeah, starlight that color. grayish kind of, yeah. everything's kind of grayed down because it's, you know, there's not much light because of the eclipse totality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the colors of the card are that bright yellow green that you see in the seven-pointed star. And then the colors we've we've talked about in the last two cards, the Aquarian colors, violet, sky blue, bluish mauve and white tinge purple and you see that those colors in the camel and the desert sands under the moonlight mm-hmm. kind of that eerie purple uh, yeah white purple white and then the colors of the moon which are blue and silver and cold pale blue and silver rayed sky blue so wow. um very evocative colors they are they are you know it is a card that's so open to interpretation, um, and I think that the colors somehow convey that. Yeah, so I don't know. I get this card a lot. How about you? Uh, I do. I do get it an absolute ton. For me, it's always a message that I should not just be a little more be a little more strategic, I guess, is the way to put it. Not in a, you know, uh, unsporting way, but to take advantage where there is advantage if you can. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. Well, when I was looking over how it's manifested for me, it's definitely me doing a lot of different things and wearing a lot of different hats. Like every day was packed with like stuff that was radically different from everything else. It was just a grab bag. So there's that multitasking and there's also that sort of like distraction quality to it of like it's almost like the seven of cups in a way but mm-hmm. but different i mean maybe that's yeah. on an emotional level and this is on an intellectual level yeah 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 yeah. i know what you mean yeah because the, the seven of cups is sort of like oh i could do that and All i these could choices, do that right yeah. whereas with this one i actually do it you yeah. know it's sort of like the will is dominant and makes me do lots and lots of things but occasionally it'll just totally backfire and i'll end up you know, wasting a lot of time on a task that is one of many tasks when I really needed to focus on one. You know, I write these spells in the morning. And um, I remember on one day, I wrote, what you seek twice, you shall find because I got this card. And I spent most of the day on a long false lead trying to buy perfume bottles, (laughs) which was distant because I was trying to get them from China. And, you know, and ultimately failed. Fruitless. And fruitless. (laughs) And futile. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Completely futile. I also got it on Halloween last year when, again, it was another day where I did a million different things, but my son missed his bus. Uh, I <laughs> was writing and recording uh, my other podcast. I was doing readings out in North Adams. I got stopped by a cop on the way back while I was driving back uh, with the other reader who had in his a baggie full of pot brownies. <laughs> and, you know, and the whole... And Talk the, about the six savers. Exactly. And everything turned out fine. We talked our way out of it. You know, it was yeah, there fine. You go. There you go. But, you know, it was At just... At least you didn't have to break out the boot dagger. <laughs> That's just what it's like, you know, a, a, a life where weird shit just keeps cropping up and you 
deal with it and move on. So, and sometimes it's just, you know, many things happen and they're all really enjoyable. I feel quite comfortable with days like that, but that's probably because of my moon placement. All right. Uh, oh my God, are we going to sum it up? I guess <laughs> we should. We got to make the stable effort. Yeah. All right. So what didn't we talk about? Oh my God. Um, this is the card of the divided mind, uh, futility and unstable effort. Um, card of the trickster. The card of Odysseus and all his many travels and <laughs> and uh, man of constant sorrow, clever, conniving, calculating, Trojan horse-like uh, projects and plans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, his devious ways that make him beloved and scorned by his the gods. Inability to stop playing the game. <laughs> The uh, accomplishing of will and giving of offense. <laughs> the F.U. moon. Yes, exactly. We talked about uh, Orpheus mm. and uh, the seven-stringed instrument. Yeah. Is that, uh, um, what's that instrument called? Is it the lyre or the yeah, sistrum? I think so, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. 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 And, uh, and his feet going one way and his head the other, unfortunately. Mm. And his furry fez and shamanistic <laughs> overtones. Yeah, the shapeshifter. That's right. And uh, and the interesting mutilated heads of the five and seven of swords and the crowned head of the six between them. Yeah, the, the destruction of the ego and the failure too. Yeah. The idea of the virtue of unselfishness mm. and the vice of unchastity as a lack of clear definition of the use of force. Right. And secrecy as mm. two things, as the the thieves' deviousness, Stealth. hidden agenda, but also as the secret of a good deed done for its own sake. Yeah, the unselfishness. Mm -hmm. Talked about fairies and changelings. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, the foster child of the fairies making off with the swords of Charlemagne. Uh, we talked about the long journeys of the camel and the tent. <laughs> we talked about Osiris, uh, Lord of the Dead. And the 49 days of the Bardo. Bardo and its temptations for the soul. Yep, yep. Um, we talked about uh, the journey of the fool and how... In the navigation cards of Aquarius, this is the card of uh, improvisation and resourcefulness in the face of challenges. And we talked about monkey mind. Mm -hmm. Distractions, multitasking, procrastination. We talked about uh, comforts and exile where none seem to exist. And the warning against, uh, you know, kind of insincerity that's a potential with this card insincerity to others or yourself or whether you're experiencing it coming at you or you're the perpetrator of it to others or yourself you know that the inability to stop playing the game yeah and mm -hmm. to to fold so that you can make an excuse and say you didn't really try <laughs> exactly which is a form of insincerity to yourself if nothing else right you know you know how air and earth are opposed as elements it's almost like this is the card that says i don't want to fail you know the seven of discs being the failure card sort uh, yeah. of the card of uh yeah that 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 tries to avoid failure and the appearance of failure in any way any possible any way possible yeah 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 the lucky punch <laughs> <laughs> yeah the rheumatic boxer and the lucky punch yeah. and kings in disguise all right. I think we're going to call it done. Yes, That I was action-packed, man. Action-packed end to the day. All right. So um, thank you for navigating your way through the Cards of Aquarius with us. We will be back next time uh, Gemini. with Gemini, the Eight of Swords. Well, we have uh, used our resourcefulness to find our way to the end of this set of three cards only to meet up with uh, profound interference in the card to come so we'll see you there and that's our show for today you can find us as always at our online home www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse but there are also a number of other places you can find me and mel on the internet all of mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarocart.com 
rosettatarot.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista. And if you'd like your very own Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. You can find them at our Redbubble shop. The address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Go on, get yourself something. You know you deserve it. Happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane. We so appreciate your support. 